Hello. Hello. Industry. 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 Hello and welcome back to Industry Tactics. I'm Friendly Rich and delighted to be back. Uh, thanks to all the kind words you've been offering on that new release from my bandcamp.com slash friendly rich site. The new recording I did in collaboration with the filmmakers, Martha Colburn and her husband, Pat O'Neill. It's out as of last Friday, and it's called Chaos Can Wait, and I hope you dig it. Some strange recordings we made together. And um, on the podcast today, none other. Welcome if you're new to the podcast and a fan of this artist's work, Ron Sexsmith. Welcome back if you're an old-time listener. This is episode number 133 with the generous and uh, and beautiful soul, an old soul in Ron Sexsmith. I really enjoyed this talk. I love the fact that his camera didn't work on Zoom. And um, I can relate to that kind of nonsense weighing on you, but um, we got over it, and nonetheless, it was a beautiful chat. I remember booking Ron at the Brampton Indie Arts Festival many years ago, and he was equally generous and beautiful. That night, we talk about many different things, um, connections to other other people we've interviewed on this podcast, Bob Wiseman being one of them. So I really hope you enjoy this talk and, and hope it helps connect some of the dots in this ever-evolving uh, journey that is industry tactics. Thank you for your support, everybody, and enjoy this episode with Ron Sexsmith. Industry Tactics. I'm Friendly Rich Marcella, and I'm delighted to introduce to the podcast, we're honored to have you, Ron, let's go, Ronald Eldon Sexsmith. Ron Sexsmith here with us today in Zoomland. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me. I almost said welcome to you. <laughs> Where do we find you this sunny uh, this sunny day? Um, well, I'm, I'm at my house, and is it sunny where you are? Cause it's, it is. It's- been raining for over 24 hours here it's just gray in okay. uh, stratford ontario oh you're in stratford ontario yeah yeah beautiful, my house beautiful. and i'm sorry i couldn't get the camera working um i'm just useless with these things these computers and stuff how does technology treat you ron uh it stresses me out i mean i have obviously i have a laptop which i've had since i mean you know various laptops since 95 but i don't have a yeah. phone i don't wow. i still listen to records mostly um, yeah i just i'm a bit of a dinosaur in that way you know but uh but i'm happy you know i'm just always afraid Good. they're gonna you know i have a landline and i'm always afraid yeah. one day they're, they're they're gonna discontinue landlines or something and i'll have to get one of these devices but yeah anyway 
Yeah, but but you're. I like the line. I'm happy, and um, yeah, you know, you're 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 tapping into the technology as as much as you need to. You have, um, and and so I see you like every Friday night. You're spinning a new old record. You're 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 you you're listening. You're taking it in. I don't care how you're doing it. You're doing it right. That's the main thing. Yeah. Well, the Twitter thing sort of. Uh yeah, you know, I never really wanted anything to do with it, and um, but it's sort of taken on a life of its own because mm-hmm. it's it's very interactive and it's been kind of fun. But mm-hmm. I, especially during COVID, I've been trying to um, sort of escalate the content, you know, and have yeah. like these yeah. series. And but yeah, the whole record listening thing, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, that's just it's you know that's just what I like to do, and yep. it's sort of uh, yeah. I mean, beautiful. people seem to, I mean, I don't, and, and you're right. I don't really listen to very much new stuff, you know, so it's usually an old album because well, I'm, I'm old myself. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah. And, and, uh, mm. but it's just more of, uh, more content, just inviting people into my world, I guess. Yep. That, which is nice. It's a nice window. I remember, um, an owl paid you a visit, and I got really excited by that. So I like these little glimpses into what you're up to, what your musical diet is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's important to to share what you feel you need to share with your audience. Um, yeah, and 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 there's probably oversharing too, right? It's, you know, sometimes I uh, mm-hmm. my goal ultimately is to get off Twitter someday because I yeah. do find it. A bit of an, a, a, an addiction, you know, yeah. in, in that. It's so, it's this weird thing, you know, I'll do these puns on Twitter because mm-hmm. I don't know what else you're supposed to do it. And, but then, you know, you check back to see if anybody liked it. It's, it's yeah. kind of this sort of a tragic thing. It's sort of a needy thing yeah. that, you know, I, I completely avoided for the longest time. I mean, I didn't get on till 2012, you yeah. know, and I, I don't do Facebook. I don't yeah. do the other thing. So, but it's, um, but I like again for, for with COVID happening, it's been mm-hmm. a, for me about boosting morale and all that, and lifting people's yep. spirits and nice. my own. You know. Nice. Have you found it? Um, have you found it to be like? How have you been throughout this uh, this journey of uh, quarantining and the whole bit? It's been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I mean, we're pretty lucky here because we live in a small town. Mm-hmm. And so there's not the glaring, you know, COVID in our face every day. We have a, a yard and there's a nice river here we can walk around. And mm-hmm. it felt relatively normal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, you know, and we've been bubbling like that, whatever the, the yeah. word is, with our yeah. friends. Yeah. And so there were, initially when it first started, there was it was so weird. You know, we couldn't see anybody. And it was just my wife and I. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's just hard because the thing that you're supposed to be good at, you can't do, you know, you can't yeah. get out and play. And yeah. and it's sort of the worst thing I've experienced in my lifetime, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's 9-11 or all these sort of things, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but something that comes along and makes people, well, kills people for one thing, but that yeah. also yeah. just keeps people apart and yeah. all the yeah. things that we love and you know, it's just, it's so cruel. And, um, hmm. but, but again, my wife and I, we've been good. Mm-hmm, I'm good. hoping to, to start my tour next March if we're allowed to. And, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. How have you felt like you've 
grown as a person, as an artist in this, in this weird, confusing time? I think my, um, or do you know yet, you know, I don't really, I mean, I think when it first started Mm -hmm. again, I was trying to come up with a, to have this sort of weekly series on my Twitter channel for, and I started saying, I know what I'll do. I'll, because I've made like what, 16 albums or four, 14 albums, really, when you count mm-hmm. the two were like rarities or something. Mm-hmm. But I started, I'm going to play a song from each record every day okay. in order of how the albums came out. And oh, I'm wow. going to play them on piano, right? Because wow. I'm a lousy piano player. So from mm-hmm. doing that every day and mm-hmm. also playing my last album completely on piano, mm-hmm. I think I think my piano playing has improved during COVID. Right it's still not great, but it's this nice feeling to be able to play and not look at my hands all the time. And yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I've, I've also just written in this last year a whole new album mm. that I'm supposed to record next month in Nashville. Oh, wow. If I'm going to go. So, wow. Um, wow. so yeah, I, I have been creative. and Great, great, and, yeah. great. That's amazing. I, you you talk about your your piano playing. You got a little self deprecating there, and I can I can definitely relate to that. And I wonder. I mean, that leads me to wonder what growing up. I see that you grew up in St. Catharines, but what was your what was your music education like? We all have one. Um, how did you well, fall in love with music? Well, it's for me. It was records and the radio because um, my dad left when I was two. But he left all his records behind. And uh, so I really got into the, uh, the 45s, his box of 45s, which were mostly doo-wop, 50s, and yeah. country music, Buddy Holly and all that. And my mom wasn't too uh, precious about them, so she let me play them at a, you know, three, age three, four, whatever. Yeah. And I just really, it opened up a whole world to me because I'm listening to these records you know, I mean, I, it was only mid '60s, but and these mm-hmm. records were mostly from the '50s. But it seemed like from a whole other century or something. That it yeah. sounded so eerie to me. And and then that combined with the radio, the song. I grew up at a very melodic period of music. Mm-hmm. Every song you heard was was just like you'd hear, you know, Bacharach or something in the Beatles, or yeah, just yeah. really great songs sung by great singers who weren't over singing, who there was no affectation. There was just, uh, and the production was always different from record to record. And they played it all in the same station. It wasn't like there was an R&B station or whatever where I yeah, was. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, 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 and at the time, there wasn't really anything competing with it. So the radio, you would have the transistor radio on, the curb while you play road hockey or something. Right. So you're playing and you're hearing a bad finger or something or Bill Withers. Yeah. It just yeah. made life seem like magical. And so it was really, that was the, the initial thing. And I, it made me wonder, cause I, I would list, you know, things like I would fixate on as I'd hear a song on the radio that I loved. And then mm-hmm. we'd be watching some variety show and there they were singing it. And I noticed, Oh, they're singing it a little bit different now than they were right, right. on the song. And I thought, and it, it made me wonder if I could sing. And it also made me wonder if I had my own voice mm-hmm. like these people did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was very, uh, I didn't realize what it was doing to me, but it was doing a lot. It made you wonder if you had your own voice. When did you sort of realize that you did? Well, you know, I, you have to go through these phases of copying people. You know, yeah. Like, learn, you know, if you're singing along with the Beatles, you're you know you're trying to sound like Paul or whatever, like yeah. this and Buddy Holly. 
and you go through this phase and um and then i was playing uh years later when i was 17 i started playing the bars in my hometown doing cover songs mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and so yeah you know i was trying to sing if i was doing a neil diamond song or something i would try to do it justice um but 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 i didn't i knew i had kind of my own voice but it was it was still in in the works and i didn't know how to sing properly so i was constantly losing my voice too uh, you know playing in a bar smoky bar and you're yeah. shouting over the, all the noise yeah, yeah. um so th- i guess the first time you know when i finally started writing my own songs in my early 20s um i found myself i was like a hybrid of all the um english music that i love by the kinks and people yeah. like that yeah. And I was also being turned on to Leonard Cohen and Lightfoot and all my yeah. Canadian brethren or whatever. And so somewhere in there I figured out kind of what what my sound was or what uh what kind mm. of songwriter I wanted to be. Okay. But even then after I got my record deal, my voice has changed quite a bit from the first album to to yeah. now. Yeah. You know, and and cuz um I was just trying to get better at it and you know, from album to album, I think, oh, the, that last album, my voice vibrated too much. So I'm going to try not to do that so much this time. Or, and then, you know, so it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, in this podcast, we, I've, you know, it's 130 plus episodes in and we're, we're, we're I, one correlation I, I see among, or hear among anyone I speak with is, you know, formal music education versus the informal stuff. You talk a lot about the informal stuff, play, playing road hockey with the with the the radio on, right? Yeah. Um, what's your formal music education look like? Well, I didn't have much of it. I mean, you know, I started putting bands together when I was thirteen and fourteen, Whoa. where we lit we literally didn't know how to play. You know, like we would play strum the guitar without even touching the fretboard. You know, and sing yeah. Yeah. these dumb melodies. And we we'd actually booked ourselves a gig at a school, uh-huh. and we were doing that, which we thought was music. And, and a couple of little kids, they're, they're probably in, you know four grades below me or something, came up and 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 just said, "You don't know how to play guitar," you know. And and I couldn't. I, they had me. Right? They were on to me. Or something. you remember this to this day? Eh? You, you yeah, and it was like a. It kind of wound. You know, it was wounded me. Right? Yeah, yeah, was, sure, like, sure. Because yeah. I would see people on television. I knew they were doing something with their left hand, and yeah. I knew yeah. those things seemed so aloof to me. Yeah. One, t- one time I was do you know jamming with my band, and we used to jam at my friend Phil's garage, and and we were making some horrible noise, and there's a knock on the door, and these two kids come in. And 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 apparently they had a band, and so they took our guitars and they played us uh, "Hot Legs" by Rod Stewart, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was watching the guy's left hand. I go, that guy, mm. he knows those magical things that I need to learn to do this. And so it was right then and there I decided to split up the band. I said, I'm going to take lessons okay. for a year, and then we're going to get back yeah. together. Oh, wow, wow. So wow. I, I I found a guitar teacher in town, and but even that. Yes. He wasn't very. He wasn't helpful because he kept. He wanted to start me at the very beginning with Mary had a little lamb. Sure. And I just want to learn chords. Yep. And when he would show me a chord, it would be some weird ninth jazz chord or something that I had yep. no use for. Okay. So ulti- ultimately, I dropped out and I bought a Beatles guitar book for easy yeah. for beginners. Yeah. And yeah. with the diagrams, you know, and I that was it. really that was my teacher. Look, I 
I don't. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't ask you for. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's just so impressive to me what everyone says, and I'm so impressed already by by your mm-hmm. moth to light the way that we gravitate to music, the way we find yeah. it, the way we get addicted to it, the way we give our lives to it, and you clearly have, and you clear. You know, it, it's equally important to me when I hear a story like that. It's like you 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 stopped your band for a year, you yeah. went on this pursuit. It maybe didn't give you what you were seeking from it, but you got it. You found what you you were looking for, right? That's the main thing, and that's the that's what I see as a constant. No matter who I speak with, if they're dropping out of high school, if they have a PhD in music, it doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter in the end, right? Well, yeah, and I know a lot of people who actually went to study music in these prestigious schools and that and they sure. can they can read it and everything but they can't play it when there's no music in front of them you know amen and, and i um yeah i just was really obsessed with with learning chords and and in fact the beatles music was actually uh a really good place to start because you know you, they have pretty strange chord progressions sometimes no so you're playing along and all of a sudden yeah. what what's you know how do i do yeah. an eighth flat or something yeah and and i didn't know even really think anything of it i just thought oh that's what they do and um and also learning all the songs i did when i was playing the bars uh, mm-hmm. when i was 17 mm-hmm. that also became a an enormous education for me because i was playing four sets a night yeah. And so years later, when I started writing songs, it was like I had this whole foundation of, Absolutely. oh, it's okay, I can go to this chord because Paul Simon did or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I, I feel that. I feel that's like, yeah, yeah. And that's what I want to try to get into is like your, yeah, you, all of that legwork that you put in, all of that time that you put in is the education, right? It's like all that time playing other people's music, uh, developing your own voice, your own ideas, not to mention now, like, your career over the last 14, 16 albums, depending on how you want to look at it, working with some of the finest producers in the game, uh, picking up, you know, all kinds of ideas in terms of how to get it across and record it, um, and structure the tunes is, I'm assuming, part of your rich music education, right? Yeah, and but I was still learning even after I got signed because... Mm-hmm. Working with someone like Mitchell Froome, who did mm-hmm. my first three albums, mm-hmm. was um, it was just so uh, I mean educational because um, I, I had all these sort of I had so many songs I was writing a lot at this point, but mm-hmm. I didn't know about structure, song structure, you know. Okay. And with so with Mitchell, all three albums, there would be this week or two week period where it's just me and him mm. uh, doing uh, pre production on the songs, playing the songs. And he would be great at, um, oh, you know, uh, maybe maybe the key wasn't right for me, or or maybe is there any way we can get to the bridge faster? You know, do we have to repeat this? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it would be like an alternate bass note on top of a chord would make something all of a sudden sound a bit richer. Um, the other thing too is he really liked my guitar playing. Yes. I've gotten a lot better now, but because I play without a pick, and mm-hmm. and a lot of producers, I think, would have brought me in the studio with a bunch of hot session guys, and they would do all the guitaring, and I would just sing or something. I didn't really know what to expect. Okay, but he was he was really trying to focus on, especially with my first album, that it's it's that it's about my voice and the songs, but also the way I play play guitar. Yep. He didn't want to 
sort of covered that up. Okay. Um, so I learned so much from him. And so by the time we were making the third album, I was already kind of doing my own uh, pre-production even before I got in, in the studio with him. Yeah. And, yeah. but there were still always little minor things he would suggest. And yeah, uh, you know, you know what this so is? It feels like the bill. I'm not going to, I don't want to give you too much of an ego stroke, but it does feel like the building of a superhero. When I think of musical experiences, yeah. I think of like each of your albums with Mitchell Froom and other producers growing, growing, growing. You get better at it. You're already talking about like doing the pre-production yourself before you even go in with Mitchell yeah. by, the, by the second time, right? Like that's, isn't that, isn't that exciting what music does to your confidence level? I know you spoke a little bit about your piano playing and the fact that you've yeah. improved it over the last 18 months, which is awesome. Um, but just every one of these experiences, you get stronger well, yeah, and 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 the thing is too. When I realized when I got my record deal, all of a sudden, I'm in the sort of in the big leagues, right? I'm on yeah. Interscope, and there's a budget, and I'm in the studio with wow, Jerry Magrata wow. and all, Jerry Chef, who played with Elvis Presley. You know? And so shit. there was a, there was this pressure in a way to rise to the occasion, right? Mm-hmm, You're mm-hmm. in the studio with these guys that are so seasoned and everything, and it it was sort of very very exciting because. You know, we would have the arrangements before we even went in the studio because we just spent all the time working on it. Yeah. But there was that feeling of, because we recorded mostly live on tape, and that mm. feeling of like making a movie where, okay, you're in the studio, you're, you're looking at all the other musicians, and then, you know, you hear Mitchell say, okay, we're rolling, you know, and then yeah. boom. And, and mm. you got to, just to get, you know, you do maybe three or four takes of a song, mm-hmm. and hopefully you get, you get the right, the you know, the take where you're, where it all comes together, where the groove is right, and when you're singing good enough and all yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but it was yeah. a really thrilling time, and I th- I know a lot of these pros that, that I just wanted to be pro too, so it sort of would rub yeah. off rub off on me, right? And it does, right? Like I think yeah. it it really does. Like it makes you. Like, that's your superpower, right? Like, you go into... So, as you're prepping now to go to Nashville, you already have the album written. Yes. Um, all these years later, right? You carry this with you. Um, I wonder, how do you how do you go into it? Are you still jazzed? Are you still excited the way you were when you made that for those first few records? Like, yeah. You know, I, I just want to know where you're at right now with it, you know? Yeah, well, you're always, or at least, I mean, I'm always excited about, uh, and a lot of songwriters will say this too. You're always excited about the new, the new ones, right? Sure. I mean, sure. Uh, I try not to look back too much, you know, because when you play live, that's when you yep. pull yep. out the song. But so I'm really excited about the new songs. But there's, there's mm. always a kind of uh, a feeling like you want to. There's, you know, I had issues with with. Well, all my albums, but you know, the, there's some issues with my last record that I I mm-hmm. want to address on this one. I want to, you know, uh, cool. just production things. You, you know, want to get revenge. You want to get like you, you want to do it better, right? I just want to do it better, yeah, and I yeah. want to. Yeah, and cool. I'm working with I'm working with a guy, Brad Jones, who who played bass on actually some of those Mitchell Froom albums. Oh, sick. And, but I've but I've never worked with him as a producer, and so you know, there's this thing where I, you know, you're a bit. I don't know, not nervous, but you just sure. want to make sure that you're going to not, you know, 
have any friction. You want to have a good working relationship. And so I sent him, I've demoed the songs three times, which is something I do yeah. with every, pretty much every album. Okay. So, so he has the latest demos. And when I get down wow. there, we'll, you know, we'll spend two days, I think of just kind of arranging things on the spot. Okay. Um, but I am, I'm always excited uh, just about the whole process. And, and with COVID, it's a little more complicated because I'm, yeah. Yeah. I got to get over the border. Yeah, you sure, know, it's sure. still closed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next but, month. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, how how have you felt the industry has changed? This is industry tactics. We got to get into it. How have you felt the industry has changed? Um, like you just mentioned, demoing. Are you doing that at home? Or are you doing that in a studio nearby? How do you how do you take that on? I don't actually have any recording equipment at all. I mean, wow. the first okay. the first demos I did were I did on my on GarageBand. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, yeah. which uh, for some reason I can't get working on my new computer. There it's kind of like the camera thing. But go. I, so I did a demo which was just piano and voice. Okay. And then the next demos I did once the songs were a little further along, mm-hmm. a friend of mine outside of Ottawa let me come in his studio and put them down on guitar. Oh, cool. And but you know when from just from doing the demos and listening back to them, you realize what's needed or what's wrong with the songs or yeah and also i've written three more since then so i went i went into a studio here in stratford and and did the the most recent ones um great so i feel feel pretty like they're sort of you know airtight or whatever you know the the structure of them and all that and they could and they still may change once i get in the studio a little bit got it and uh and you've worked with brad before but not in this context as a producer yeah, he was always just the bass player on oh, the, my oh. second and third album, and also the one I did with Steve Earle. Um, oh. And he, he, but he also he's a multi instrumentalist, yeah. and yeah. so I'm hoping between me, him, and the drummer, we can sort of cover yeah. most of the bases. Okay. okay, wow, Ron, wow, it's so exciting. It's uh, and and all, I'm assuming all these relationships you've forged over the years, the 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 thing of trust is is probably. Uh, a pillar that you lean on in, in all of this, right? Like trusting Brad now to take on this new role and see where that blooms. Yeah. Because I don't know what all the knobs do and all that stuff. So I need someone. Yeah. As I mean, in the beginning I needed a producer like Mitchell Froome who could help me arrange everything. Yeah. And I still yeah. need some help with that, but mostly I need someone to make sure, uh, you know, that it's being recorded correctly yeah. And, yeah. and all that. So, what are some of the, the themes that you deal with? Uh, if you can disclose this at this point, yeah. what are some of the things you're dealing with lyrically on this new record that you, you're about to record? Well, it's, I'm probably too close to it, but it's mm-hmm. sort of, it feels a little bit like a continuation theme, uh, you know, theme wise of, from my last record, which was sort of a happy album, you know, even, I mean, that came out right at, as COVID was starting, you know, right. I couldn't have imagined that that anything this horrible would be happening. Mm-hmm. So, so it so there's still that kind of almost domestic bliss thing about it, but there's mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. a little bit of um, world weariness that has crept in because of what we're going through now. Okay, you know, I'm just yeah. trying to think offhand. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, it's very you know, it's a bit wist more wistful than the last album. I think you okay. know, it's more like uh, just you know what's where are we now kind of thing well that that's why i asked right i wondered if if the last 18 months play into it obviously they do some somehow 
Yeah, I mean, for me, there's um, you're always kind of coming from a different place lyrically. Mm-hmm. That's what I get. I mean, it's always the hardest part lyrics too. Sure, you know, I, I, I you know, melodies are, are always sort of popping into my head, but. Yeah. But it, it's just exciting because because before I wrote these songs, there was this long period where I didn't write anything because I I finished all the songs for Hermitage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 2018. I didn't write anything at all in 2019 or 2020, yeah. and or, or you know, or actually maybe the fall of 2020, I started writing these songs, and then okay. now they're kind of almost finished. So. So I, I was starting to think, oh, well, maybe it, maybe I'm done. Like maybe, oh my god, you know, yeah, maybe there's no more songs coming. And so it was just exciting to have that feeling again, where oh, you know, I'm in the middle of seven or eight songs, and and you know, when that happens, that you're going to finish them, yeah, and they're all going to yeah. kind of come together somehow. Isn't it fascinating? I mean, and was that the longest like bout of like? not writing that you'd had in the last say decade yeah, yeah. kind of ever really yeah wow wow i mean wow. since like, since i started writing yeah because you know when in the beginning you know and, and this is true of all those people like dylan and all those guys yeah. you know in the 60s they were writing like crazy right they're mm-hmm. doing two albums three albums a year mm-hmm. and i felt like that i had to sort of you would have an album coming out but you'd already have the next one written kind of thing right yeah and and so and that's what I've been kind of doing all along. Okay. And I'm able to write on the road and in hotel rooms. And mm-hmm. yeah. so, yeah, so that was kind of, I wasn't, it wasn't scary or anything, yeah. but I, it was just sort of a, uh, this feeling, I wonder, wonder if, if it'll come back because there's yeah. no guarantee it will come back. There's some people that just, they don't write it at all anymore. So yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm just happy that it returned. And, uh, yeah. Someone told me recently that Bob Snyder is, mm. is like, um, not writing songs anymore. Yeah. I, and that's, and I, I don't know, I was going to say that's sad, but maybe it isn't. I mean, I love his songs so much. They're so beautiful. I, I, I often think about him and I don't, I was never a close friend to him in a mm. way that I felt I could, I was, uh, you know, seek him out or something like that. Right. Right. I was, I was always just, uh, such a huge fan. I, you know, he was. We were. You know, he was always very nice to me. And yeah, yeah. Me and um, yeah. I was just kind of in awe of him. So, oh my god, his uh, book on songwriting is just like that's what I'm saying. Like it's like the epilogue to that book, though, is that he, maybe you stop one day like that. I mean, we, inevitably we do, but I just I've never looked at songwriting as like a thing that you do, quote unquote, retire from. That's heavy to me, you know. Yeah, and, and I don't know if he stopped because he just he has not, any ideas, or if it's just uh, if he was um, I don't yeah. know what not, not bitter, but just you know discouraged by the music, his dealings with the music industry. Um, yeah, know. I don't know. I don't know those yeah. details, and fair enough to say that. I we should preface that, but uh, but he's also he must be must mm-hmm. be mid seventies now, right? Right. I, right. I don't right. Know. right. Um, but I I, I always kind of. I, you know, I, I just have fine hard to believe that he's not writing something, you yeah. know, whether it's poetry yeah, or because it's in it's in his blood, you know. So. Yeah, and you know, it, you, you touched on something earlier just with this idea of like, um, I, I've lived by the mantra of one can either produce or become produce, and <laughs> and I've 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 lived by that my whole life. I guess I'm a bit of a workaholic, and I think we we bow to the altar of productivity, don't we? Like it's. 
oh my God, the idea that you would take a year, a year and a half and not write a song or not release a record every year is almost like um, frowned upon in some circles, but it, it's probably brought upon us by ourselves. It's sort of probably like self-imposed in a lot of ways. Mm. Is, yeah, it okay, well, is it okay to just breathe? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to get better at that. Like, you know, the last few years when I wasn't writing, um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I was still, uh, I was, I was, it's not like I was completely inactive. I mean, I, I wrote a musical uh, a few years ago that yeah. I was been working on a script for that. I was oh, trying wow. to, trying to get, talk to people who could help me get that off the ground. And I, but I wasn't in this, uh, frantic, and, you know, for maybe back in the early days, if I, when I was on a big label and it was time to make a record and I didn't have any songs, that would have been maybe stressful, right. Okay. To make a record of songs that were subpar or something, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I uh, for me, it's just amazing that uh, that I found something that I could do because mm-hmm. for the longest time I knew I liked to sing, but mm-hmm. I wasn't that good of a singer that anybody would want to sign me based on that. So, mm-hmm. with the songwriting thing, really gave me a purpose and it gave me. Uh, it was, and I, and I think a lot of it had to do, you know, when I had my son in '85, yeah. because it, just for showing up to do to be dad, which was mm-hmm. a very, I was, you know, was a very scary thing. Sure, I always sort of felt that, uh, you know, and this will sound crazy, or but I always felt that I was sort of given this gift almost, you know, for for sure. doing trying to do the right thing because mm-hmm. I'd never written before that, and all of a sudden I wrote the song speaking with the angel for my son mm. when he was just a few weeks old. And that was really the start of it for me. Oh, wow. Really? Eh? Like that's, that's kind of when it all begins for you. That's so charming. It was the first time where I thought, uh, because I, not only that song, but I wrote this one in the floodgates open and I wrote my first batch of songs. And okay. that, that's okay. when I started thinking, Oh, maybe I'm a songwriter. Maybe I need to get to Toronto and try to get, you know, make it like, yeah, and uh, and and it all sort of it just gave me a sense of purpose and well, a feeling beautiful. like, well, I'm not useless, you know. I can do this, and, and you know. So, oh man, I'm so happy to hear that. Like, it's a, what was that like? That coming to Toronto and finding your musical family there. Well, the hardest part was just getting there because at the time my son was born, we were living in Quebec in a barn, literally in a barn. And with a wood stove, and uh, there was an old piano there, which I was trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, my former partner, Jocelyn, was actually uh, quite supportive of it. But Mm -hmm. before we could move to Toronto, we went back to my hometown, St. Mm -hmm. Catharines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Initially, we planned to stay for just a few months, but it ended up being like two years because we were broke. And I had, you know, work in different jobs. And then finally, we got up the money to move to Toronto. And that was a whole other nightmare because Toronto is very expensive and yeah, even then, you know, had, uh, yeah. some sort of sleazy landlords and things yeah. like this. Yeah. And, and, but finally we got settled there and I was really proud of that, that I was able to get just to get there. And I found a job as a courier and, and, but the cool thing about Toronto and I, and I, which I always sort of suspected, but mm-hmm. I felt, that once I get to Toronto, things will start happening. 
maybe that was delusional, but sure. I met I met this guy Bob Wiseman the first month I was there. You know, mm. Uh, mm. and you know, you know who Bob is, Wiseman. Sure, sure. Yeah. he's on this. He's he's a prior episode on this podcast. We'll, oh. we'll throw out to it. We'll shout it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bob yeah. was like he saw me playing at the original Sneaky D's, which was, uh, you know, the basement of. Well, it was right at Bathurst and Bloor. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And uh, and it was this open stage and. He came up to me afterwards, and I remember playing. I didn't know who Blue Rodeo were at the time. And, yeah. uh, I was playing, and I see this guy, and he's smiling at me, and he comes over, and he and he said, "You remind me of Elvis Presley." Oh wow! And I was, and I would, I'm born on Elvis's birthday, actually, and I told him that, <laughs> and he was like, "Well, you know, this this place is not happening. You got to come to Fat Alberts. It's the okay. best. It's the only open stage in town that's worth okay. going." To. Okay. And so. The, and just that information, I went to yeah. Fat Albert and I meet Bob Snyder and yeah. Sam Larkin, okay. Kip Harness. Yeah. And yeah. I Great. felt I I found my my people. Okay. And it was and so and then at the time Bob was sort of like he was producing all these folks like Bob Snyder. Yeah. And he offered to produce me. And this was I'd only been there maybe two months. Yeah, beautiful, um, beautiful. That's so, charmed, right? Like yeah. it's Yes, and Bob was the guy. I mean, all, even though the record, the, the the one we recorded, took yeah. a few years because he was yeah. so busy. Yeah, that's the record that ultimately got me my record deal. So, do you not um, feel like and and Bob? By the way, if you're listening and you want to go back into the podcast uh, wormhole, is episode nineteen. Yeah. Over 100 episodes ago, we speak with Bob, a dear friend and a major influence on on. On all of us, and and I, I think, do you, do you find like meeting? I don't want to get too spiritual, but like meeting all these people, and they and connecting the dots with all of them. That's kind of what I'm doing on this podcast. Is like that's not lost on me. I think because we find each other through the music. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was kind of a spiritual thing in a way meeting him just yeah you know i mean yeah. I, I i just got the tron on i mean, it was like now what, what do i do and i thought well i'm a songwriter so i should try to seek out all the open stages there you go there you and go. i met him and and through meeting him i met you know and actually even working as a courier i met don kerr as, at the same courier company that's where we met and we're still playing together now you there, know so there, there you go there's a lot of go. serendipity going on yeah. Yeah, there um, is. Yeah, but the cool thing about Bob Wiseman was that he kept his word, you know, because he made the record finally. Uh -huh. For those times where I didn't think he was ever going to finish it, but when he made it, he took it himself in person to all the labels in Canada. Oh wow! And they wow. all they all turned me down. Every one of them turned me down. But then he didn't stop there. Then he he knew some people in Los Angeles, and he okay. sent it to them. So he was. Um, just sort of relentless that way. And I, yeah. I know, I mean, maybe I would have made it somehow without him, but I don't see how, because oh, I was oh. getting old at the, I was, you know, not old, but I was in my late twenties and things weren't happening. Okay. So, um, so yeah, okay. so I'm kind of forever in his, in his death. Bob. That's so interesting and exciting and inspiring to me. Like also, like I thought, I didn't realize you were, you, you, I mean, you say you were old in, in your late twenties. I think we look at that differently now. Right. But yes, yeah. it, like re, re, relatively, I, I hear you on that front. And so, so you were experiencing some of that success after signing to a major label in your, I, I, I guess, early thirties, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Um, and, 
That's good. I think that's really good, right? To have had a little bit of life behind you before you get to that point, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't see it at the time, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I felt by the time I it, I did get signed, mm-hmm. the songs I had were way better than the songs I had when I was in my yeah yeah you know, right right right. So right. I felt more sort of ready for it. Um, you know, I had it by that point, I had two kids. I was like, yeah. you know, then I, I would, I'd always hear like Bill Withers was, I think, 32 or something when he got signed, you know. Okay. Okay. So, but it just made me feel more determined to have a body of work because yeah. I, I felt I didn't have that decade, that, you know, that 20s yeah. where, yeah. so I just wanted to be productive. And yeah, man. So, yeah. yeah. Are you, um, You've seen the industry kind of morph and change from major label. How are you doing it now? How are you, how are you continuing to exist and thrive in the current industry that we find ourselves in? Well, I'm still on, you know, Warner in Canada. Mm-hmm. And they've been nice and they've kept me around. Mm-hmm. Um, they paid for my records. Um, I'm also Great. on a label called uh, Cooking Vinyl in the UK, and they and they do my put out my records everywhere else in the world oh amazing amazing so i have a, a kind of a home home base i'm always expecting every record i do that maybe warner will say well we like you but we can't keep doing this because uh, the record is it's expensive and i don't sell a lot mm-hmm. but I've, I've just been very um i'm very grateful that i have a following and that you know, it's not setting the world on fire. My music, it's it's not really resonating with the culture these days. There was a period where I felt, in, especially in Canada, where I was going to the Junos every nominated quite a bit. And yeah. I think those days are gone because it's a whole new landscape now. Yeah. Of, and that's as it should be, right? Um, are you okay with you, that? Yeah, I, I, you have to be, right? Yeah. I mean, it happened to everyone, Dylan. All, I mean, I mean, Lightfoot and all those guys. Lightfoot sure. put it on a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Nobody even really talked about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when he was walking on air, right, where he mm-hmm. was like, and and I grew up at that time watching the Junos and seeing mm-hmm. whoever, all those people. But it's not that anymore. And and I don't really see myself in that equation. But, but you can't really fight it, you know. You just mm-hmm. have to be... Uh, I have a body of work, and whenever I put out a record, it's just about getting it to the people who mm. would, who you know, are interested or who mm-hmm. would, who, who would care for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because I, I, I've said this before, and but it always feels like what I, you know that I'm what I'm, I'm building like antique tables and chairs or something. You know, there you got, go. that's what I kind of do. Nice. And I'm a song purist. I'm coming. I don't know how to make the new kind of records, and I don't think anybody would really want me to sound that way. Anyway. Could you imagine? I, I don't. I wouldn't know. I, I you know, I, I sort of had a brush with it, and I made a few albums with a guy named Martin Treff in England, mm-hmm. and he was able to bring some contemporary elements to what I was doing, yeah. which I found I really enjoyed. But uh, but that even those records compared to what's happening now are just very antiquated, you know? So, I mean, see, I'm just mostly grateful. I've had a really good run, you know, played Massey Hall, Headline Royal Outer Hall. And, uh, and I just, I want to keep going, but I realize I'll be going along uh, on, on the, you know, I said this in a tweet the other day on the service road of the music industry, you know, I just go along and do my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's great. you're in the yeah. penumbra. You're in the penumbra of the of the shadow, right? It's not. You're not getting yeah. burned by the limelight at this point. But. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't get a lot of 
uh, television or things like that. And and again, I'm on, I'm pushing sixty, so you know you get a certain age and you don't yeah. photograph that well anymore, and you just kind of want to do shows where people can see you from a distance and make records. You know what, man? I love your the honesty of your Twitter feed. I feel like I'm in your living room sometimes. It's just like here's a here's a photo of me with a record. This is what I'm doing. I, well, it's very, it's very like a kid in a candy store thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just showing people my, yeah. my world has not changed really since I was a kid, you know? But yeah, I, evidently I, when you started out this interview by saying that and you're still doing the thing and <laughs> listening and digesting and, and reflecting, but I, are you, um, the move out of say a city like Toronto to a Stratford, a little, a slow, a little slower paced maybe, um, that was deliberate, yeah. right? That was a good thing for you, I think. I think, yeah. And, and I didn't, I mean, my wife, uh, she really instigated that whole thing. Cool. And and I was dragging my feet because I, I was, I don't know what I was holding on to. There really wasn't anything for me in Toronto anymore, except a few friends. Sure. Um, but sure. she just, she was getting really stressed out because we didn't own our place there. And, uh, you know, and we were afraid, well, what if our landlord dies? Well, you know, will we have to move? And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I finally caved and I said, yeah, okay, let's go. And, and it's been the best thing for our relationship. And just, I've never owned a house before. I felt this, this stress cloud of anxiety just completely, you know, dissipate (laughs) the minute we moved here. I'm I'm walking to town every day around the river, passing swans and things like that. I never even saw birds in Toronto the whole yeah. time I was there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been a really good thing for my mental health and all that. Great. And Great. Um, yeah, are you? Um, yeah, are you? Uh, what was I going to say there on the on the on that front? Is like um, in Stratford has, has it affected your artistic the way? Like I guess your headspace obviously bleeds into your your artistic yeah. work, right? Your expression. Um, yeah. Is this the first record you made? You wrote since living in Stratford, or no? No, well, I, I wrote I wrote Hermitage mostly in Stratford. Okay, and there was a couple songs I wrote before I left Toronto, but they okay. even those songs were about Stratford. You know, I yeah. wrote one spring of the following year, and Chateau Mermaid I wrote in Toronto, but really at the end, you know, we That's moved cool. in January, and I wrote them in like November or December. That's so, so cool. Um, and then I wrote my entire musical here and oh, that's, wow. like about, wow. that's like 20, 22 songs or something like that. So, wow. um, wow. but yeah, my head headspace is definitely, uh, I was really feeling out of place in Toronto towards the end and feeling like it was a bad influence on me feeling yeah. it was like, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, no, I understand. Felt like a loser or something, you know. Oh. So, so, so to come here, I, you know, I was also feeling like I go to a bar where I used to go and I wouldn't see anybody there yeah. that I knew anymore, yeah. and I was like the old old guy at the bar, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is not yeah. a good look sometimes. So, sure. Um, so sure. here, I feel like I'm the young guy in a way, you know. There you so. go. There you. Go. That's so beautiful. Um, yeah. What? Listen, you're you're. I got a couple more questions for you. I want to make the most of our time. This has been a delight, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm really sorry about the video. I just uh, no, 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 no. Hey, listen, yeah. it, it's it is what it, this is. The talk we're supposed to have, man. Are you right. um, are you uh, this pun work that what I can't write a pun. I, I maybe I write two pun two pun a year. Yeah. 
Um, where the where does that come from? You always had that knack. You and uh, you and Hawksley Workman punning yeah. it up on Twitter is a, 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 a an art form unto itself. Well, there's a lot of funny people on Twitter. That I mean, Kathleen Edwards is very funny, and yes. uh, Nico Case. I mean, I haven't seen her tweet recently, but yeah. I mean, it's like. Yeah, as a kid growing up in the in the era of uh, 70s variety shows and things, it was yeah. all dad jokes. And I, I loved that. I loved yeah. uh, Jack Benny and Bob Hope and Groucho Marx. And, yeah, really. and obviously those guys were before, you know, the 70s. But yeah, yeah. I just loved. Uh, and so I, I, I always thought of puns. And in the van, my band is, they're all hilarious. Everyone in my band, way uh-huh. funnier than I'd ever be. So there's a lot of. Okay. gallows humor on the road and there's a lot of who can you know you know, someone says something stupid and then everybody else has to chime in and elaborate sure. on that but twitter gave me sort of an outlet uh-huh. uh for these dumb things that are popping into my mostly it's all wordplay the way it's i see the it, best. It's all, it it's all a form of writing and uh, you know it, it's and and again it comes back to the when I got on Twitter, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with Twitter? I, mm-hmm. I, I look at other people's sites and they're showing what they had for lunch or something or, yeah. or, or, you know, Sarah Harmer might tweet out environmental things or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, what is, so what does Ron do? And, mm-hmm. and I just started, I think the very first, first or second tweet I did was a pun. And I, it just seemed the, something that would maybe brighten somebody's day oh it does uh, it does and you you found your voice i like i think that's kind of cool too is like it's a different voice it's yeah. a different side of you that's obviously not necessary i mean wordplay is definitely yeah in your well, it's also a way to combat my image which people have always in inaccurately sort of you know they talk about me being melancholy and everyone gets melancholy but i mean sure. You know, like the documentary they did on me was this not my story at all. It was mm-hmm. the story that the director wanted to tell. Okay. So in a way, it was to combat that image that it, made it. my own fault. That 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 I'm actually kind of a big you know weirdo. You know? Yeah. And and Twitter allows me to, and I and it's all shameless. Like uh, if I have to think about a pun too long, it's probably not worth yeah. tweeting. Yeah. Don't I force just, it. Don't yeah, it. and I and I forget about it the minute I put it up there. I I couldn't yeah. tell you what I just tweeted. So yeah, um, well, it's a great little compilation. I think if you filter through, what's your um your handle on Twitter, Ron? Just at Ron Sexman. Just go there and get into his body of work if you haven't already. Um, you are uh you, you know you're one of those Canadian artists that um we know and love and and cherish and i really i i, I appreciate our our time today i appreciate you sharing letting us in again to you, to your world um two quick questions first is what's the musical about and can we expect it to come out at some point um well i wrote a book it came out in 2017 called dear life it's a fairy tale mm-hmm. and um and as i was writing the book i could imagine the the characters breaking out in song so um, ah. when I moved to Stratford, I just started, I thought, well, here I, I'm in a theater town, you know, I should yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I started writing the songs. Um, That's cool. And, and so, you know, now I'm at a stage where, uh, you know, I've, I've been talking actually with a filmmaker who who seems intrigued and, wow, wow. you know, maybe, maybe because uh, I'm not from that world. So sure. but I'm hoping to find someone that could help me either make it into a film or a theatrical production 
anything at this point because Amazing. I think I think it's a could be a really nice. It's a nice story, and it's very old-fashioned and square. It's not like sexy. It's not a rock opera, you know. It's yeah. it's closer to something like Oliver than okay, okay, you know, than Tommy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's very exciting to hear you kind of maybe possibly venturing into that direction too. Very exciting to, all all yeah. these years later, right? It's like I've been sort of willing. I've been willing it to be, you yeah. know, and putting yeah. it out to the yeah. universe, and finally, I'm starting to get some maybe a few people in my corner to help good, me. Good. Well, I mean, I mentioned Hoxley Workman episode number eight on this podcast. Yes. And, um, I know he's done a lot of work in that, in that area too. So it's, uh, it's very inspiring. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen Page wrote one that yeah. was supposed to yeah. debut and then COVID came along. And oh, wow. Wow. Stopped wow. That. Um, but yeah, so I'm, you know, I, I always thought when I started writing, it wouldn't be nice by the time I'm 60 to have, yeah either something on the stage or something in the, Got in the on Netflix or whatever. So <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what happens. So. Well, I, I wish you nothing but uh, continued success and a, uh, new musical adventures. Um, our last question for you, and thank you again, is if to a younger generation of artists, um, maybe yes. draw on a little bit on what all of this has meant to you, what you've learned and, and maybe a, a a last kind of nugget of advice for anyone looking to get into this, this industry. Um, well, I probably they're not the best person to ask because I, you know, the industry that I came into in mm -hmm. the 90s is so very different from the one. I mean, I, I was sort of lucky to experience that feeling of, you know, and you know, recording budgets and recording in New York and then going to L.A. to mix and to got the sort of tail end of, of that sort of thing. And I could also see why it doesn't exist anymore, too, because they yeah. were throwing so much money around back yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. signing people sometimes and then not even putting their records out. Um, you know, uh, so to, to, if I had to start now, I really wouldn't know what to do. I'm just lucky I got a bit of a foothold from making these records and and i've been so on so many different labels over the years um but i think that the young people are a lot more savvy with the internet and with and also the, uh, it's a like it's a whole new new day with music the kind of music i hear yeah. out there i don't know how to do that i wouldn't know right. where to begin because right. it's not it's not like uh rock and roll or something you know what i mean it's not like the stuff that i heard growing up that's yeah. still in my dna it's a whole other thing and it's all the it's all these different uh cultural things coming together to create the music that we hear today and i, I don't really feel i uh, i feel in a way like a dinosaur in that respect oh. so um well so, i mean what has it meant to you though like what I, I maybe i'll rephrase it as like yeah. you're you're cherished by so many you've collaborated with so many amazing <laughs> artists and mind the yeah. noise i'm having some work done here but what is it no what is it kind of, what is it kind of, um, I don't well, know. Well, it's hard to know where I stand really sometimes yeah. or where I fit in. I mean, yeah. I feel, I feel lucky that I have a body of work and, uh, yeah, uh, I think, you know, I mean, I run into people and they seem nice to me and others don't seem so nice to me. I don't know. It's hard to know where I stand. So mm. I feel like, um, I do, I've always felt a little bit, you know, I guess even too that I got signed in LA, 
uh, mm-hmm. after being turned down by everybody. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'm on Interscope Records. I always felt a, a feeling, maybe it was a paranoia, maybe it was in my own mind, almost mm-hmm. a resentment by some mm-hmm. folks up here because mm-hmm. I, I in the industry because I came in through the back door in a way. Right, and, right, right. And because the people in L.A. didn't really care if I was happening on Queen Street or not. Because, right. you know what I mean? They, right. they had, whereas in Toronto, the labels would come out and see me, and I maybe there's two people there, and they're thinking, well, this guy's not happening. But right, right, so, right, right, right. so I've never quite sure. I always felt, again, and it might be my own paranoia, but the, almost the sort of resentment and by some. and But, but anyway, that was, I, I, I feel... Uh, there's uh, is goodwill towards me out yeah. there, and and, yeah. and yeah. I was trying to carry on that tradition of Leonard and Joni and Gord yeah. that yeah. doesn't really exist anymore beyond me. Like I can't You're think part of, of that lineage. I see it, and it's yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not, or maybe not yet. But I mean, yeah. and whether that lineage is important, even you know, like it used to feel important to me to be a part of that, but it, I don't hear that in the DNA of. The right weekend, now. or, or yeah, you know right, what I mean, right. or Sean yeah. Mendes, and yeah. and those yeah. guys are great. But I just yeah. I don't. Where I'm coming from is seems to be so far removed from that. That yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it'll make sense at some point. Right, right. right. Maybe right now it's a bit feels a bit disjointed, but I think that will all make sense at some point. You know. Yeah, and so yeah, we'll see. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, I, COVID has made me really reevaluate things too, yeah. because before, you know, everybody's got these big plans and they seem so important yeah. and yeah. what comes along and says, well, not so fast. You're, you're only so, mortal. You're only human. Yeah. Exactly. And, well, look, yeah. fellow mortal, I wish you the greatest success as you go to uh, Nashville, hopefully next month and go get them. Thank you. Great chatting with you. Yeah, this was one of the best ones, I think. So Damn, I will say so. I won't, I, I'll put, I'll put that on paper. Thank you. Yeah. And if you need me to send a photo for your podcast, I can just do one of those ones I do up there, you know, uh, in my Ron, backpack lounge. So. Please, please do so. I will use it with uh, with pride. All right. Thanks, man. Take care, brother. All the best. Great chat. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. That was episode number 133 of Industry Tactics. Thanks again, Ron Sexsmith. Go to ronsexsmith.com to learn all about uh, upcoming tour dates and uh, as mentioned good luck in in Nashville uh, this month as uh, hopefully Ron records uh, a, a new release coming soon so thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next Monday on Industry Tactics if you want to learn more about my work go to friendlyrich.com and really appreciate some people have gotten in touch behind the scenes lately just telling me how much they appreciate the podcast and that means a lot so thank you for those kind words and your ongoing listenership. It's awesome, and we'll see you again next week. Take care, everybody.